Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're going to update you on the Erie Canal, both from the standpoint of the late opening for the 2020 season, but also from an ongoing standpoint, because we know there have been some issues on the Erie and we want to make sure that it remains available to recreational vessels for the long term. So my guest is Bill Drage. He's returning again. If you remember, he was with us a few weeks back when we first started facing the late opening for the Erie this year. And Bill is going to update us on his efforts with Save the Erie, as well as this season, which of course is going to be very much abbreviated for boaters in New York and those trying to transit to get into the Great Lakes. Before we begin with Bill, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Bill Dreg, thank you for joining us again today. Welcome back. Thanks, Kim. My pleasure. Yeah, so uh, first of all, for those who maybe have not listened to the last podcast that you were on, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, interest and activities on the Erie Canal. So uh, mostly I'm a, I'm a recreational boater on the canal. I keep two boats on the canal. I'm a board member of Canal New York, which is a nonprofit whose interest represents um, communities, individual businesses, um, individuals. Um, we're, we're, we're basically a chamber of commerce for the canal. Um, I also uh, operate East Coast houseboats, and um, we build houseboats actually on the banks of Cayuga Lake within eyeshot of uh, Cayuga Seneca Lock 1. Um, and I spend, I spend the entire navigation season on the canal, and this year we're dealing with the same problems that everybody else is. Yeah, and... You know, you're of course passionate about the canal, but that's you're in an interesting position because you, um, you know, first of all, it impacts you from a business standpoint, but also from a recreational standpoint, since you're both uh, uh, boating for pleasure on the Erie, but it also is your livelihood. Uh, but you also volunteer a significant amount of time to making sure that others get to enjoy the Erie. So that's why I think you're the perfect person to tell us about what's going on there. Um, so again, for those who maybe haven't listened to the first time we had you on or the last time we had you on, um, tell us just kind of in a nutshell what's happening on the Erie and the other New York canals this year and, you know, where we stand today. The latest news that I have is that you will not be able to go end to end on the canal, um, most likely until the first week in August. I believe that is also the same with um, the Champlain. You will not be able to get up into Lake Champlain until that time as well. Um, the the bulk of the west, you know, the bulk of the Western Canal is open, but the Cayuga Seneca is not. Um, the Oswego is not. You can't get up into Lake Ontario. Um, you can transition a, a large portion of the canal, but you cannot get out of the Hudson River. Um, right now and that's the way it, that's that's a best case scenario they seem to be 
honoring those commitments. They've opened up, um, they've opened up the entire Western section. Um, but those big projects that they had ongoing, um, are not going to be finished earlier than that. We, we met with Brian Stratton, the director of the Canal Corporation, about two weeks ago at a Canal New York board meeting out in Lockport. And Brian, Brian made the trip from Albany all the way out to Buffalo, um, because he really, he wanted to, to give us the latest information. And, uh, I believe Brian, Brian is a true advocate for the canal, but Niper, Niper controls it. Um, I asked him questions such as with, with the canal, with the entire canal not being able to open until August, even had the pandemic not happened, would you still have been able to open on time? And he told me that was, that was their plan and they felt that they could. I, that that's what he said. Um, the, um, you know, he kept talking about the fact that, um, the, the lock project in Oswego, which is a three year ongoing project is a $30 million, um, commitment. He, he kept bringing that up that as the, to make the point that NYPA is committed to the canal. But I think he could also look at that NYPA then turns around and goes, $30 million to rebuild the lock, you know, this, this system is in, unsustainable. And that's, that's my half glass, half, uh, glass, half empty, half full type of scenario. Um, what we did learn is one of, one of the three items that we felt NIPER was planning was, um, to lower the water level on the canal by five or six feet, um, uh, in the Western section. And, um, they tried to do that this spring and found that they couldn't, they couldn't get water for irrigation to the farms, which is a big deal in their reimagine of the canal thing. The other thing that they did that they got pushback on was the Mohawk. They had lowered the water level in the Mohawk so low um, that they were affecting the aquifer and people's wells were drying up. So they began to get pushback from from people on the eastern side about that so we have a certain level of encouragement that um long term this is going to be okay but we are truly fighting uh, a lot of battles there was an article in may in political um which was basically basically a press release from nipa and and it stated exactly what their intentions are. And there's a tremendous amount of concern about invasive species and being able to shut those off. Um, and, we, and, and Gil Keone, the, the president of ITA, came out a week later and tweeted his support for the article. So, you know, we, we think that this is an ongoing, this is, an on, this is going to be a fight that's not going to end. And when you add the, the financial challenges that New York State is going to face after this pandemic, um, it's a real con it's a real concern. Yeah, it absolutely is, and, and there's lots of uh, little gems in there, Bill, and what you just told us that I want to go back and unpack just a little bit. Um, you know, first of all, you asked a, a great question, and I think it's on what's on the mind of so many boaters is. The workers were sent home because of COVID about two months before the opening, which was scheduled for mid-May. So following that through, 
we would have hoped that when they returned, which was also in mid-May, that there was two months of work left. Um, it's turning out to be closer to three months, um, and we understand that the reason behind that is many of the workers that they sent home had moved on to other projects. It was hard to get everybody back. Um, but thank you for asking that question because that is a concern. You know, were the resources really put back to where they were expected to be? Um, I'm glad to hear that it looks like they are staying on track. And, and yes, I agree with that. The information that we've gotten, um, you know, that there have been scheduled lock openings and those have, for the most part, stayed on track. So yes, the Western Erie is now navigable. That caused some confusion, I think, for loopers yesterday um, who weren't quite sure where the boundary was between what's considered Eastern Erie and Western Erie. Um, so the Western Erie is open. Uh, many of our members who had boats stored for the winter on um, Lake Oneida have been able to move them. And if they can get through the bridge clearances on the Western Erie, which is closer to 15 feet air draft, they have been able to get out uh, or start moving towards Lake Erie at this point. But we're still not expecting complete through navigation for members in any direction, essentially, um, from the Hudson River to get into the Great Lakes until August 10th is, is the published date for the last of the lock openings. You know, there's still one on the Oswego, there's still one on the Eastern Erie, one or more in each of these places, and one on um, the Champlain Canal that are not projected to open until August 10th, which kind of keeps loopers, if they're on the Hudson, locked in regardless of which way they intend to go. So that's, you know, still what we're dealing with. They may beat that by a few days, but we're looking at early August. So just to set the expectations for those actively cruising, we're still getting questions about that. Um, but I also want to go back to what you said, Bill, uh, because for those who are not familiar with the reimagining the canal project, which Governor Cuomo set into motion probably going on two years ago at this point, I'd say, um, and we covered that in, in pretty good detail in the last podcast that Bill joined us for, so you can go back to the archives and look for that if you want some more information. But what was concerning to Bill and the organizations he works with and also concerning to AGLCA were some of the suggestions that Bill just touched on to control aquatic invasive species um, and to potentially lower the water level in certain parts of the canal, which would make it challenging for boats that draw more than you know five feet or so to potentially navigate. So what was news to me in that bill is that, that they had actually tried some of that this season and found some obstacles that they didn't anticipate. So can you tell us a little bit a little bit more about that, and you know, obviously, that does lead to some hope that that won't be a long-term plan. Exactly, and and Brian Stratton addressed he addressed some of those concerns, and one of the questions we brought up is, you know, he t he talked about going to the village of Fairport, and 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 looking at the at the canal from the shore, and commenting how it was it was. It was so lacking because when when you go to Fairport, one thing you'll you'll see is is typically it's long it's lined on both sides of the canal with boats, and he he felt it was sad that there were no boats there. And I said to him, I go, well, what would be what would be worse than that, Brian, is if there were boats there, but the water level was dropped five feet because you couldn't get off your boats at the wall. And how are the canal communities going to feel about that? Every community. Um, for those who haven't cruised the western section because of the bridge heights, uh, the western section has some of the best places for boaters to stop. It has the most communities that offer free or very low cost docking, 
$11 a night or $20 a night. Um, but they all offer electric and have bathhouses and, and amenities within a short distance of the canal. But if you lower the water level by five feet, um, you know, you'll need a ladder, a, 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 a tall step ladder to get off your boat. Um, and he, he kind of acknowledged that. One, one of the questions that was raised at this meeting was, since the schedule is so short this year, have they con considered keeping extending the close date, which is on or around October 15th? Um, and it, that question took him, I think, a little um, by surprise. Um, and he was not very optimistic. And, and one of our members who used to own Mid Lakes Navigation, who had 11, had 11 bareboat, char, uh, bareboat um, charter boats, um, talked about how much additional revenue could be gained by a business if they could keep the canal open for another two weeks, say, like they used to. So we're also pushing, we're pushing for that. Um, we don't hold a lot of hope, but we are, we are pushing. Right. that as well. Well, and, and to, to also give uh, folks a little bit more background, if they haven't been familiar with the recent history of this area, is that uh, the New York Power Authority, which is NIPA, uh, a few years back was given control of the Erie Canal. Um, and of course, running a waterway is not their core business. So that's been a, a bit of a struggle to uh, for the boating community to feel like NIPA really understands the needs. And the season has been shortened over the past few years to like a mid-May to mid-October operating season. So what has that done, Bill, the, the shortening that we've seen over the past few years, what has that done to the businesses and communities along the canal? Well, we've heard for, from our mariner owners, um, boat rental, boat tours. Um, one of our, uh, several of our members operate tour boats on the canal. They, they, um, Lockport Locks, um, which has four cruise boats, does typically does 8,000 school uh, kid uh, trips a year. And, and, and the, you, you, normally the kids aren't in school in the summertime, so those trips take place in the spring and the fall. So that has greatly uh, been reduced. And the value of that, of those kids on the boats, is, is the education that they, they can get about what, World, what a world-class infrastructure um, project this is. So that that's one of the things. But from the business standpoint, um, the the just the amount of time that marinas can uh, generate transient docking or have additional time to um, for their boaters just to stay in the water and service, uh, just a whole host of of reasons. And and our, our, we understood when they initially did it because the the story behind it was that they needed more good weather to, to do the construction, that there was so many construction projects that were, that were um, as they claim, shovel-ready, um, that needed to get done, and this was going to be a great advantage. And, and from the first season on, um, they just didn't, they didn't do that. So um, we, we can, you know, we, we've kind of, we've kind of considered that, the, the lengthening the season is is going to be a, a, a long hill to climb, um, but maintaining end-to-end -end navigation for not only recreational boats but commercial um, commercial transportation is is our core goal. Right, and that that 
maintaining end-to-end navigation that you just mentioned, Bill, that's kind of the goal of um, the Save the Erie initiative. So I just want to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors, but then when we come back, I want to dive into the Save the Erie initiative um, and what's going on on that front. So we'll be back in a moment. The new MJM-50Z is the most technologically advanced production motor yacht available, first worldwide to incorporate a Seakeeper gyro stabilizer as standard equipment to virtually eliminate roll in waves underway or at anchor, and in June 2015, the first to include fully opening power windshields for control of fresh airflow. MJMs are unique in the industry, built of environmentally clean, stronger and lighter epoxy compounds composites in the USA. Owner benefits are significant. A smaller carbon footprint with 50 to 100 percent better fuel efficiency. A top speed with optional triple IPS 600s of 40 knots and crews of 35 knots. A more responsive, enjoyable driving experience and greater safety offshore. For more information, visit them on the web at www.mjmyachts.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Bill Drage, and he is talking about the Erie Canal, and he's uh, doing so from both the standpoint of a boater, the operator of a business along the canal, and uh, a member and board member of organizations that are there to support the businesses along the canal. So Bill's multifaceted in his passion and his representation of the Erie. Um, Bill, we've kind of talked about the fact that NIPO was given control of the canal, which many see as a detriment to the canal's long, long-term existence or the through navigation for recreational boaters of the size of looper boats. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, water sports, paddling, things like that. Uh, but that's certainly a completely different animal than the boats that loopers are cruising through there on. Um, so there's been that issue. The whole reimagining the Erie Canal seemed to focus, again, more on those paddle-type sports and a few of the things that were recommended for additional study would certainly be detrimental for loopers' long-term usage of the Erie Canal. So that was also kind of another um, question mark that was out there. Um, and now we add to that the substantial uh, financial obligations of the state of New York related to COVID. And, of course, since the state does run the canal or, or own the canal, essentially, um, that could be another uh problem going forward for maintaining the Erie Canal to be the historic landmark that it really is. So you are really kind of the driving force behind an effort that's becoming known as Save the Erie. So tell us about that initiative and what you envision for that. So the Save the Erie program, um, which is which has been started by Canal New York, um, is, is designed to provide information um, to, to interested people. It, it's, it's going to be a grassroots campaign that we hope will be widespread. It's supported by organizations such as the Canal Society of New York. Um, Boat US is about to, um, to do a press release supporting the, the effort. Um, we have, we have built a website, um, which will include, it, it'll include It'll include information about what is going on in the canal. So um, the articles, for instance, um, from Political, from the Buffalo uh, Press, um, which has followed this uh, very closely. The Albany Times Union just, for instance, published an article about the 
the, the aquifers and the problem um, that they're having on the eastern side by not maintaining um, the waterway. Um, we'll, 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 we will be posting those, those articles. We will be heavily, heavy into social media. Um, we have hired a, a, a marketing organization that will, will be responsible for, for getting that information onto the site and, and building out those social media platforms. Unfortunately, like most projects that are run by committee, uh, the time, the time, it has taken us a little bit more time to get this on live, but, um, the, the real idea of this is to get it right and get it right the first time because we probably only have one real good shot at getting this. But this will be, it'll be driven by a GoFundMe page. Um, and on that GoFundMe page, we will discuss exactly how this money will be spent. Um, how to, how to build this, this campaign. And, this will be an ongoing thing. You know, originally we were going to, the goal was to hopefully claim success on day one of the 2021 navigation season. But um, we've decided that this, this is a long-term, uh, a long-term fight. And um, so our goal will go on, will move way past this year and, and, and way past next. Um, this will be live within a week. Um, we're just tweaking a few, a few items, but at that point, Kim, we'll, we'll be sure to send out a press release to you and, and let you know when this is, um, this is live. But I, I think we have a lot of support and, um, you know, not just from the problem, as it's been explained to me, is recreational boaters don't always, uh, don't always have the best rep, right? We, we, uh, we're rich, we're, you know, we're pompous. We don't care about the resources, right? We're, and, and that's, and, you know, completely false. Um, and this goes way beyond, uh, recreational boating. So, um, the history community is 100% involved in this. Um, the communities are as well. So we, we will keep fighting, fighting the fight, but, um, we will have that information. We will have every bit of information that we can find. Um, both good and good and bad about the canal. And when NIPA does something good, we will we will post that as well. Um, it'll it'll it's going to try to be a very neutral site. We're not going to do a lot of editorializing. Um, the information will be on the site, and it, it'll be it'll be available for people to make their own their own judgment as to how it's going to go. We will gladly accept comments and feedback and letters and. Um, you know, we will publicize, uh, for instance, if it's a letter writing campaign to the legislators whose district board districts border the canal, um, you know, we will, we will be promoting those type of things on social media, um, and, and looking for suggestions from, from, um, you know, our group, the groups that support this as well. Yeah, and you, of course, have AGLCA's support on this. Um, for those listening, uh, as Bill said, all of these resources are still being rolled out, but the Save the Erie page, while it's not completely populated on Facebook, it is there. And, you know, I went to it yesterday and found it. So um, when you're hearing this now, you can like and follow that page now so that when they do finish the build-out, you'll be getting all of those updates. So while you're thinking about it, while you're listening, instead of saying, oh, I'll go check that out in a few weeks when it's, when it's ready, um, you can like and follow that now to make sure that you're staying up to date. 
Um, and yeah, Bill definitely let us know. Loopers are extraordinarily good at letter writing campaigns, and we've done a few with our advocacy efforts on anchoring, and actually had some state legislators who said, "Please make it stop." Well, we, you know, we're we're gonna we're supporting what you're asking for. Please have them stop sending me emails, um, which I kind of thought was was kind of funny, and uh, just speaks to how engaged our voters actually are in these issues. Um, and actually, after the um, reimagining the canal report came out, um, I had had the uh, pleasure of being invited to speak to one of the subcommittees and did so. Uh, and one of, when the report came out, I kind of reached out to some of those people and said, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about a few of these things here. And they said, yep, we are too. We would suggest that letter writing to those uh, state uh, assembly people who's districts are along the canal would be an appropriate next step. And the time frame that they gave me to do that happened to align very well with when everything in New York started to shut down because of COVID. And we thought, yep, they're dealing with a whole lot more issues right now and don't need to be in the middle of a letter writing campaign from loopers. At this particular point, we're probably not going to get the attention that we're hoping for. Uh, so we've got that on hold and we'll definitely be looking for guidance from you and your organization, Bill, on when that's a great next step. And of course, it's more powerful when it is coupled with other organizations rather than just having loopers do it. So um, I've had some conversations with Boat US as well. Um, in fact, I think you and I were both on that same call and very excited that there is widespread recreational boater support for what needs to happen on the Erie. Um, it used to be when I was asked by members, you know, do you ever think about what would happen if the waterway closed down? And I used to immediately think about the situation outside of Chicago in the Inland Rivers because there was a lot of press a few years back on the Asian carp migration and how we needed to keep them out of the Great Lakes. And of course we do. Um, and there we always could fall back on the fact that they were very commercial waterways. So while they're critical to the Great Loop, they're also critical to the nation's shippers. Um, and that was an added boost that would help to always keep that open to boating. It concerns me that the Erie Canal doesn't have that same commercial, um, the, the number of commercial traffic that it once did. Uh, so I think recreational boaters really need to speak loud and clear to the importance of this waterway. And I'm, I'm glad there's a group leading the charge now to do that, Bill. Um, has there ever been any talk about the canal being uh, maintained by someone other than NIPA? Uh, because it does seem to be an awkward fit, for, you know, probably through no fault of their own, but the canal is kind of, you know, uh, probably not in the core skill set of the, the folks at NIPA. Um, you know, many of the nation's locks are run by the Army Corps of Engineers. Has there ever been any thought to shifting that once again so that it's not NIPA's responsibility anymore. And, you know, I know there are specifics in the New York State Constitution about the Erie Canal, so is there a hindrance there? Any thoughts about that? The, so one of the things about the Erie Canal is that it's a completely off-budget item uh, as it relates to the New York State budget. It receives no direct taxpayer funding. So prior to 2017, it had been run by the New York State Thruway Authority. And the New York State Thruway Authority is another semi-autonomous state agency that receives no uh, direct taxpayer money. It's all supported by tolls. And and the Thruway Authority was, was really under siege uh, from lawsuits by organizations such as American Truckers Association for diverting toll money. So a, a very high-placed uh, employee at the Canal Corporation wrote a white paper about 
um, the idea of Niper being a good fit for taking over the canal because Niper had been sending New York State approximately $90 million a year in revenue from their power line generation uh, revenue, hydroelectric dams that they, they own. So uh, the governor, to his credit, um, took the canal out of the New York State Thruway Authority and gave it to NYPA. Um NYPA, NYPA is an infrastructure company. They're, they are very good at what they do. And so NYPA came in and, and immediately did an assessment of the canal, of the infrastructure on the canal, and was extremely troubled um, because of the lack of maintenance that had been ongoing just due to revenue shortfalls and, and just limited resources that the Thruway Authority could, could spend. So initially, it seemed like a really good fit. And, and in the end, we hope it is. But um, the concern is that the people at the type of top of NIPA, um, with this concern about this, this infrastructure, um, they're, they're just have a different vision of what the canal is and, and our vision and, and groups such as yours and Boat US and Canal Society of New York. Um, you know, we want to see this canal preserved in, in at least the configuration that it was, uh, from a hundred and, 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 Two years ago, when the Barge Canal originally opened, all that infrastructure on the canal is is a hundred years old right now, and um, we want to see that maintained. Um, the the talk of, as it relates to Army Corps of Engineers um, at a Niper has been their desire to possibly turn over the Champlain Canal to the Army Corps. I, I don't know um, if it goes any further than than that, and. The problem is the fact that the canal at this point does not receive any um, state taxpayer money. Um, getting that on on budget um, is is going to be a, a real uh, problem, I, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Niper is our best is our best shot right now, and um, we've just we've just got to let them know how many people uh, are passionate about about this. It's it, I tell people that there are 524 miles of navigable waterway, connected navigable waterway in upstate New York. And people just look at me like they they just can't believe it. And I'm talking about people within New York State. Um, it, it's got a, um, it, it's got, you know, there should be a greater effort uh, about promoting the canal. We, we fought this uphill battle with I Love New York. Um, we have pushed for... New York State has, I believe, 11 or 12 travel regions. We have pushed, um, we have pushed the legislator to create a travel region of the Erie Canal corridor. It, it passes through five um, existing um, travel regions, and it, it just doesn't get love from anyone. No, no travel region wants to spend their tourist out their 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 resources promoting the Erie Canal. When they're only one of of five, um, so it's you know it's got its challenges, but I think in the end this is just going to be a public awareness uh, fight that we're that we're going to engage in. Yeah, it's got its challenges, but um, the Save the Area is a great initiative, and hopefully that can change things and and start to draw attention to this as a great travel and tourism 
rage and, and you know, boaters absolutely love it. And I hope that more and more uh, of the looper boats are of the air draft that they can clear the bridges on the western end because that really is the historic end of the canal. And from Lake Erie, you can still, um, you know, head head north into Lake Ontario and, and continue the, the route that way without having to do just the U.S. portion. So lots of options there. We hope that they can all remain open for the long term, for through navigation, for loopers and other recreational boaters. So, Bill, thank you for... Um, being a real advocate and champion for that issue. Thank you, thank you, Kim, for the opportunity. And we will be in touch shortly um, when the campaign goes live. Thanks. We're looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us once again. We'll have you back when the campaign really gets rolling. And to our listeners, thanks for listening once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.